I'm a pale replacement for the for the beloved Mel. <laughs> oh my! The interchangeable white lady. No, no, no. So <laughs> let's just let me do my my spiel because Mel. I hope Mel's watching somewhere or listening after she has her lovely dinner. So hi, Mel. Um, welcome to Brave Space Live, a show about anti-oppression, communal healing. Each week, we pick a hard-hitting topic. I don't know if today's will be hard hitting, but um, and dive right into the awkwardness. And we start off with awkwardness here. Um, we already did. Uh, I am Tesha. I'm a trained clinical social worker, an educator, and a diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner. And this is my fantastic, lovely co-host for the day, Rebecca. Hello, I'm Rebecca. I'm an actress, a director. I'm a perpetual student and a an enthusiast for justice. Oh, I love that. You know what? I would say I'm an enthusiast. I feel like, though, most of the time justice is just hitting me in the face and mm -hmm. I have to do it. So that's 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 what I am. But I do I can see how your your mood would be dampened by that. I mean, and I, I think I was a, a, an active like a, a justice enthusiast. And then I was like, oh, no, I have to do this. I always tell people and this is not at all a part of what we were supposed to be talking about today. And I will get to that. But <laughs> I I was actually going to be a marriage counselor and a family therapist. Oh, wow. I went to school to be <laughs> to, to be a therapist. So that's why you hear me say I'm a trained clinical social worker because I was like, oh, I'm going to be a marriage counselor. I'm a family therapist. And I was in grad school and things just kept coming up and things just kept coming up. And I was like, oh, I think I might have to do this work. I think well, because this I, it was so obviously not being done. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Like, and I, and I was so like, real. Let me let me say I do have my alma mater shirt on today. I went to Penn and they have one of the only um, race and gender sequences uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, in social work. But I still I think when a lot of people find social work, they find their their niche and they stick to it. But they're also often forgetting what the other realms are or the people that will intersect with those things. And I kept finding um that so I kept and I was also like one of five people of color in my classes so we kept finding each other mm -hmm. yeah well it, it sounds like it was maybe something that helped you survive that I mean survive is like such a strong word but helped you you know kind of like make it through that program it was a, it was a great program and I'm still friends with a lot of folks there. It just, it propelled me into this work in a way that I didn't think I'd be in it. So mm -hmm. here I am, but I love to hear that you are a justice enthusiast, but so, to, so let me get into, cause I'll, I'll, we'll just start talking about something else and I'll just go off for like a whole other half an hour. But um, so today's topic, we're wanting to talk about preference and prejudice and dating. Yeah. So I wanted to bring, was, when we were thinking about this and we knew Mel was going to be absent, I think she went to a, a conference or something and she's visiting family as well. So Mel, hopefully we do you proud. Um, when we started talking about this and your name naturally came up, we we're like, uh, we get to, to sit in for Mel, one of our friends to the show. Um, and your name came up because we both follow you on TikTok. And oh, that, is so, that is so genuinely heartwarming. It is. And it's true. Well, we both do follow you. We love your work. We interact all the time. So, and I wanted to bring in another longtime friend of mine. Um, and we'll laugh at this and you can talk about us after um, I introduce him. So a friend of mine, JC. So we're both from, originally from Philadelphia. 
or he's from close to Philadelphia, but I'm from Philadelphia. And we met when we were working at Whole Foods. We were like very teeny tiny toddler people, or I was, I think I was a little younger than JC, but. Um, we bonded over the curly leafed kale. It, we did. And <laughs> like the, I'll have to, I'm going to post a picture of, of he, he and I on our, um, on our socials after this episode. But JC is a longtime friend of mine and he is working in also in social work. We didn't go to school together, but we both ended up in kind of the same profession. And he works in, let me get this right. He's had over 10 years experience working in integrated medical facility, focusing on prevention care, treatment and treatment service, prevention care and treatment services for people living and affected with HIV, which is such a great industry because there's so much hope. There wasn't a lot of hope and now there's so much hope in it. So I'm sure he gets to work with a lot of people. So I'm gonna introduce our friend, JC. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I have lots of good memories of us at Whole Foods. Oh man, it is. It was a place, and we had a lot of fun, and we didn't let anything go to waste there. We had there are we used to have like Whole Foods family parties, and I'm I'm still friends with I think everybody on social media, and it's it's just hilarious. Yeah, it was a whole different culture, right? Before the Amazon takeover. Uh, yeah. Let's let's say that we are Whole Foods before Amazon when it yes, was still yes. it was when you couldn't walk in and just walk out and they charge you for your groceries, but like real Whole Foods like real whole food. So, so I wanted to get into this topic of really talking about dating relationships and what preferences. So I wanted to start with kind of talking about if, how our preferences are developed or how at least we think that they're developed. And I'll, I'll give a little story to you all. So when I was younger, I've always liked music. And I think that's how we all shape ourselves. And when I was growing up, the kind of the, the music groups were like, for me as a black girl in a, in a city was like immature, but I knew that like immature and boys to men, but I was like a little bit younger than the boys to men crowd. And immature was like my sister who's about four years older than me. And I liked like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, and and I'm embarrassed to say it now, but Hanson. And I and I'm, and I'm dating myself um, because I was <laughs> in the era of music videos when MTV and MTV2, before MTV2 was the box, when it was the box, which is a whole other That was a, that was a minute ago. (laughs) I'm dating myself. So I remember going into my seventh grade lunchroom and seeing a printout on, and I'm having a vivid memory. So it's like a throwback right now and seeing a printout of the top three videos on the box. And one of them was Hanson and Bop. And I remember seeing this paper. I don't know whose it was because nobody was sitting there because probably nobody wanted to claim it. And I remember going over and picking it up and folding it and put it in my pocket. <laughs> I liked, I mean, JC, I would have dated you because they all had hair like you. <laughs> and and I just remember being like, I like this, but I don't want other people to know because everybody at my school, I grew up in an inner city. so in Philadelphia. So almost all of the people I went to school with were black. Um, And Philadelphia, you know, as a big metropolitan city still has like, I think it's about at the time it was like 58% black and, and, you know, the other for the the rest of the groups of people, white, um, Latinx, Asian, things like that. But I went to an all black school because I lived in a low income neighborhood and I liked Hanson and I liked NSYNC and I liked Backstreet Boys. And what I was telling um, Rebecca and JC were before we got on as, as I started to talk about the story 
was that I knew that it was different. And I think other people knew it was different too, because people would come confess to all the things, all the white things they liked to me. They'd be like, oh my God, I like, this girl came with me and was like, I like Alanis Morissette. And I was like, <laughs> why are you telling me this? And then I realized it was because I was the girl who liked those things. So I don't know where that preference came from. I just know that it existed. Yeah, yeah I mean, I remember you back in Whole Foods. You, you loved uh, the white guys in the hoodies. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It is. It is. It is true. It is you're, true. You're a hipster. What can you? Actually, what can you do? I know. Well, actually, I wasn't, but I loved that kind of boy. And it's funny because um, one of my favorite Backstreet Boys just—he actually just won RuPaul's Celebrity Secret Celebrity Drag Race. AJ McLean from the Backstreet. Boys. I'm sorry. I'm spoiler. I'm sorry, Rebecca. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I tell you, it's okay. No, no, no. So, so that's it great. Is, like, it, it, he won and he's a straight man, but he wanted to do the show. But for me, I'm not really sure where my particular preferences came from. I do know, I will say another thing about myself and I would love to hear from you all as well is um, I grew up with a, with a Caribbean stepmother who worked for a lot of white families when I was younger, around eight to 10 or eight to 12. And she would take me with her and I would go to their houses and be like, that boy is so cute. I remember this, I'll say his first name, but I won't say his last name. This kid named Brett. And he's probably like 45 now. Cause he was a teenager and I would go in his room and I was just like, Ooh, you liked Brett. <laughs> and I won't tell him that now. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure he, I don't follow him. You thought but, he was uh, cute. And he was he was a teenage boy who had like, you know, colognes in his room. And of course, they I'm sure they did not see us that way because my stepmom was there to clean and I was just tagging along with her. But like, I think that's part of like how my preference was built. Like me mm -hmm. being so young and her, and he also had a room that like everything matched and his walls were plaid. His, like, they were, his family's like really into like decorating. So I don't know, from you all, uh, Rebecca, what do you think in, in, as you think about preference, like who you tended to date and what you- Oh gosh. Well, I am, thank you for tossing the ball over to me. I, you know, as I think back to my kind of like the startings of having preferences. Um, I, so I was raised in an ultra-religious um, uh, culture. I was raised in Salt Lake City as a Mormon. And so we kind of had, I mean, it's interesting. It didn't feel like an overbearing, high control culture when I was in it. Mm. But the more I look back, having you having some space between, the more I'm like, ooh, yeah. Because, you know, we, we really were trained to just glom on to a nice, upstanding, righteous man and then be it, be his help meet, literally, like make his babies and wash his clothes. And so I, I don't think that that ever really fit me. Like, I think I, I think even as a young kid, I was like, mm, I'm not doing that. But some of the preferences for like a clean cut, tall, tall, dark and handsome, kind of that Disney Prince version of what a man is supposed to be. And then I, you know, kind of feel like I never really grew out of that until I intentionally started looking at some of the identity stuff and some of the white supremacy stuff, I, you know, because when when you're learning, when you're learning white supremacy culture, this is what I tell to other to other white people. Like, I don't remember learning English. I don't remember learning English, but here we are fluent. 
So I don't remember learning the tenets of white supremacy, but you know, I've been enacting them for 40 years. So thinking about like, do I really even like what I thought I liked? Do I, you know, and why? And I'll just say one more thing about preference. I think that in white supremacy culture, and I just feel so grateful to be in a space where I can say in white supremacy culture and everybody doesn't go, oh my God. <laughs> in, white, in white supremacy culture, I feel like almost solely the directive is status and hierarchical rank. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for so many of us, dating is just another lever to pull to get into status and hierarchy and rank. So you're going to you're going to try to pull the the richest man or the most beautiful woman, whether you like them or not. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people, women get such a name for being like frigid and women after they get married don't want sex. And it's like, it's because women have been choosing partners based on every decision making metric other than is he sexy. <laughs> so right, 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 of right. course you're going to marry a guy you're not really that into, but he looks good on paper. So I'm going to marry him because my it's life will be have a certain, right. My life, my lifestyle will be a certain thing. I can handle having to sleep with him, which is just like, so sad. but it kind of is what it is. And we've been making those kinds of decisions for, you know, you know, as long as, as long as patriarchy has been around, you know, so Anyway, I feel like I've been rambling. Well, that's well, wait. Well, I have to, I, I'll say this one thing because I want to hear from JC, like your your indoctrination or understanding of preference when you were growing up. I said indoctrination, but that, that came from the white supremacy culture. But um, also recently, I just found out that tall, dark, and handsome is like means like somebody I saw on oh, no okay. TikTok said tall, dark, and handsome is like oh they mean Ben Affleck when people say that, and we are like oh we thought you meant like. Morris Chestnut or Denzel Washington, but you mean? I'll be oh, honest no, with no. you, I've I've heard that phrase a million times and never knew what it meant. I assumed I it meant. Ben it's kind of like white people say olive complexion. I'm so confused. I'm like olives are green and purple and black. What are y'all <laughs> talking about? And then they're like, oh, undertones, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. But like, tall, dark, and handsome is Ben Affleck. Okay, JC, <laughs> JC, what about you? Where did your preference or your understanding of preference develop, come from, any of that? Um, I think I've always enjoyed people that are different than me. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's one aspect. And I do remember, I believe it was the first girl that I kissed. Uh, we were in preschool and I grew up in a very like white area and my school was very white, but she was a beautiful black girl. She had these like great little barrettes. I remember her like, I just remember her, right? And at some point though, you know, we kissed, you know, and, and there was this like a spark, right? Just like my little four-year-old self, I remember that, right? Um, but I'm gay. So <laughs> I, you know, moving forward, I remember one of my first crushes. He was a, uh, a brown boy from Puerto Rico. Uh, we were in sixth grade and sixth grade was actually the first time that I, I really like uh, saw this prejudice and racism that was occurring. And he, he was one of very few uh, brown people at my school at that point. And I just remember like really just, he, he first of all, he was a sweet guy. I definitely had a crush on him. Um, but even then just thinking about like being drawn to people that were different than me. Um, and 
yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I have dated a lot of, a lot of people that are not white, uh, but I also know that I've, I've been offended sometimes when people just automatically assume that I would want to date someone because they were black, uh, because they're like, oh, well, you like black men. I'm like, well, yes, I do. I love men. You know, I love men of, of all races and sizes and shapes. So, like, I, but I, I do have to say that, yes, I think I am more drawn to uh, BIPOC folks. And I also think that there is a part of me knowing, like, trying to figure out being gay. I, I knew that I didn't necessarily have a choice in this. I mean, I know that that is a, for some people they choose different things. For me, I think I've been gay since I was like five. And I I know that being born, like I didn't necessarily have a choice in that. And so I connected with people that were experiencing prejudice for just being who they were. And I think I, I formed some sort of maybe like, you know, bond of some sort with with that aspect. Um, and, and yeah. I think that makes so much sense, though, what you're saying, JC, like this thought process of one different because you were different and then two different and being yourself, maybe because when you said it, like I'm drawn to BIPOC men and I, I was drawn to, to earlier on. It was definitely I dated all the guys, uh, uh, not none of them were boyfriends. I dated all the guys, like all the different races, all those different things. But I think just feeling different, being different and dating different because it people being themselves and whatever hardship comes along. So like this, this draw to those things, I think is really interesting as well. I will say, and, and this is one of our producers says this all, all the time. She's like, one of my defining characteristic flaws is that I like men. <laughs> and I also. Yes, yes. I know. Because it's like not fun out here to be like trying to date men. But like also like it's like, I'm not going to say that any other group has it easier, but if it was, if it was me, easier would be dating a black woman because I'd be like, Hey girl, like we know, all right, let's do, but like, I mean, I love my, I love my husband just dating. And it was, it was hard out here in these dating streets until I, until I met him. Um, it was very easy to, to like and love him, but you know, relationships are hard all the time. So I just think about what it feels like to have this conversation about, did I, am I shaped, does white supremacy, as, as we're all talking about, shape how we think and move and want to date? Because I don't that see how it couldn't. I don't, yeah, it's just, it's a part of understanding and a part of everything. Because, and I think about that because we're not, and I'll go, I'll go into our clinical bag, uh, JC, is that like, you're not born a blank slate, tabula rasa. Like you're born with a personality, right? Like you're born with personality traits and then the world shapes you, right? It's not that people say, is it nature versus nurture? But it's neither, it's both, right? They can't, mm-hmm. they work together. And who I am fits into what shapes me in the world. Like it's not, and, and, and it has to be enacted in both ways. And, it, and I'll give an example. Like we talk about um, in, I did developmental psych was my, was my undergrad. So I was very interested in like understanding like birth to 13 or whatever. Um, me, my sister and I grew up in the same household. We had one of my older sister. We had the same parents. We are very different people, like very, very different people. She grew up in the era of in sync and um, of um, of immature and 
you know, things like that. But I grew up in the era of NSYNC and our, so our realities were a little bit different. We both went to black schools. We, and I, I ended up being friends with like the one white person at our school. <laughs> There's like three white people who went to my high school and I was friends with all of them. And then one left and it was like, you know, so just thinking about who you are and also the environment you are in kind of shakes both of those things. But white supremacy being a part of that. Go ahead, Jason. Well, you, I mean, I, I think, I just remember you even talking about, like, this idea of having this beautiful blend of family, and, like, you, you've always been just so, like, loving and accepting, and it, it seems natural that you would be bonding with those those folks at your school. <laughs> it is, and I, and I really think about that, because it's, and I, I've done so much work in even deconstructing my own understanding of white supremacy, because it wasn't like dating at first it felt safer for me to date, to date like a white guy. And I think as you were talking about Rebecca, it was this, okay, well, who can I align myself in my preferences with that is going to get me along? And I think part of that for me came from seeing uh, white affluence with a, with a stepmother who was cleaning houses, but then also going to college met that really heavily, mm-hmm. right? Like when I went to college in social work, most of the people are women. I think it's like 85% of social work is white women. Mm-hmm. But like there were, but in college, if I was dating people who were college, who were college graduates, then then my pool of dating black men got smaller, which is un, which is so unfortunate. But that is how society is set up. And then two thirds of I think the largest number of college graduates at this point are black women. And and, and postgrad degrees. Right, post and I, I mean I know so many black women with degrees. Like it's, 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 it's great, but our dating pool and all of the things that go into race and racism and white supremacy has lessened our dating pool, right? So when we're thinking about people being incarcerated, people being high earners, and then also you get into things like misogyny and all of these different things that go into that. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's so interesting to hear about your experience being coming out of that. So did you start dating after leaving? Did you like start exploring dating more after leaving the Mormon church or what does that look like for you? Not really. I've been, I've always been a little bit of a cold fish dating wise. So I did realize that the, the people that I did, um, you know, and I, I have some regrets about some, you know, devastation left in my wake, you know, when I look back, but I think I was looking for like the guy I should date as opposed to somebody that I really was like genuinely drawn to. But then but then I don't know that I ever knew what I was genuinely drawn to. And I also, you know, this and this is a whole can of worms in and of itself, but I think that the training of whiteness is to abandon self for in the name of like being good for, for, you know, kind of like for lack of like more, we we're the name of the game is hierarchical uh, advancement and uh, upwardly mobile, uh, upward mobile mobility and all of that. And so for, for so many people, and I would include myself and you know what, I'll just speak for myself. So much of it was about unplugging from empathy, kind of discarding authenticity and just doing what you're supposed to do to get what you think you're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And so and when I look back at relationships, I think like I was dating, I was dating a list of shoulds. And then I started dating a man that Shutting I was really, really into, shit all over the place. And then I started dating a man I was really into, and that was kind of an on again, off again thing. And when I got really into DEI stuff, 
Um, oh, hold on. I don't know if that messed no, everything fine. up. I just took a, I had to uh, dismiss a phone call. Um, I started having a standard for um, the person that I'm dating to be able to have a conversation about oppression. And so many white men specifically are absolutely allergic to even the concept of white privilege. They're allergic to the idea that they got anything they didn't deserve. Like I had a conversation with this guy I was dating and he's like, well, my grandma did, she sacrificed for my family and I don't see why I should be, I don't see why I should be penalized for other people. You know what I mean? I'm trying to explain the concept of generational wealth to him. And he's like, well, if my ancestors worked harder than other people's ancestors, why are you trying to take my money? I'm just like, you know, I can't, I, you're so pretty, but like (laughs) where, but where are you? Like, I can't, I can't. And, And that is a component, I think for me, this, the reality of like, preference there there is i i don't want to necessarily i'm continuing to evolve and awake and understand white supremacy and my role and just i don't necessarily want to be doing that with another person in a relationship or or to that level like having to explain white privilege and doesn't mean that i don't want to do that work but in a partnership that is not necessarily it doesn't feel like it would turn out Oh, I was just going to say there, there, and they're even like the good white guys, right? Like, and I, and I hate to put quotes on that, but like, I've talked to like, you know, leftists who say things like, you know, the real problem is class. The real, pro- you know, the real problem is the class, well, you know, class warfare. And I go, it sounds, what you're, okay. What you're saying to me right now sounds like, Forget about the bars and the locks. The real problem is that we're in prison. You know what I mean? Like that's what you sound like to me. Like right. ignore, like ignoring all of the structural, like uh, ignoring like how we're in prison to say like we're in prison and we should be free. And I'm like the the only reason that we allow that you know like there are so many people who would benefit from so many structural changes, and the reason we don't is because we're racist. Because we believe in the white in the tenets of white supremacy, because we believe in some little piece of ourselves that real justice means somebody taking something away from me. It's funny, so I'll 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 speak to that too, in that my my husband is is a different race than me. He is white. And I I was like a baby anti-racist as well, because you know, I know you talk about this and and, and growing in your understanding of anti-racism and justice. But we all, no matter what, and I'm, you know, I'm visibly black, right? But we all have to untangle ourselves from white supremacy, right? Like that's, it's it's our own complicated web individually, communally, culturally, all of these different layers and every layer that exists and, and how black people untie it for themselves. Because for us, the losses, like you, if I don't engage with white, like there is no way that I can not engage with white supremacy, right? There's just no way that I can completely untie myself. So untying myself as much as possible also means I'm not gonna move up in a job. Like white people can start doing anti-oppression work as a CEO of a company, but I'm somewhere here down here in the call center trying to do that same work and it looks very different. But And that CEO can clock out anytime they want. And I, and once, but in in the real thing about this work is that once you, especially as a person of color, once you see it, you can't unsee it. 
And that's for everybody. But for me, it's like, sometimes you're like, oh, now I'm noticing life and death. And if I even, if, if, if I want to even get ahead in this white supremacist system, I have to untie myself from the system, but tie myself to it in a different part of that tree or whatever. Right. right. So one of the things that came up for me in dating is that when I started dating my now husband, um, I just wasn't sure we come from very different worlds and I'm not going to go into his own personal background, but we came from very different worlds. Like I'm from, I'm a black girl from the inner city of Philadelphia. Like, and I, when I say that, like my dad told me recently, you weren't born with a, with a, um, a, a silver spoon in your mouth. I was like, barely wouldn't like barely. So I don't know, but, um, it was I, a spork. It, it was, was a plastic spork from the local KFC. <laughs> So I'll say I grew up in a neighborhood that is what we would call what they used to call food desert in that there is no local grocery store. There are lots of corner stores. So there are lots of um, lots of uh, fast food, lots of liquor stores, lots of churches. Mm -hmm. Right. I grew up in that kind of area. Now, I will say I grew up on a family oriented block, but we were like get in the summertime there was a, there were, they would drop off school lunches so that the so that the kids in the neighborhood could still eat oh, when they're, wow. they okay. grew up in that kind of. So is that like the at need neighborhood? Is that what right. they call it? Um, um, I think it's, yeah, at risk. Or whatever they call it. Yeah. So yes. But I grew up in it, but you, when you, when you're poor, you don't, you grow up not knowing that you're poor. Like that's not a thing because everybody else around you is also poor. So it's just like, this is how everybody else lives. Right. But I will say, so when I started dating my husband, I just remember engaging with him and being like, oh, we are from different worlds. Like, re and I had white friends from high school because we met when I was around 24, 25. I think I was 24. I don't even know at this point. Oh, 26, I think I was. So but, last year. Um, <laughs> exactly. Last year. Um, but when we started dating, I just was like, oh, I'm not sure. And I remember we went on a date um, and we were at a like a sky bar with it's like a, in Philly there's like a fantastic restaurant that has like a 30 second floor with this great view and i just remember being like what can you teach me like what how are we going to what are we going to talk about in this relationship when you come from a two parent household with parents who are uh, professionals, postgrads. My parents have never, my, my mom has now graduated with an associate's degree, but neither one of my parents went to college. I went to college. It was different, like those kinds of things. And I remember um, being like, like, do you understand racism? Do you understand these things? And he's looking at me like, we're on a date. And I'm looking at him like, but, and I remember leaving that date. And this is what helped my husband. So I'll say also too, we'll talk about this in a second. I really want to talk about dating apps. I met my husband mm -hmm. on a dating app. And what got him the date, this is how race cross-sex everything I do. Um, there was one of his, one of his pictures, there was a, somebody's hand in the picture like this. And I was like, oh, it's a black person. He knows black people. Okay. So, cause you know, like you can't tell, like it's most people, they, they tell you to crop out yourself in a picture. So you're, I'm not looking at your hot friend. I'm looking at you, but it was a black person. And I got to meet this person, um, years later, um, but, do they know? Do they know they were the ticket? Oh, yeah, I told them they, they were the were golden ticket. He was like, thank you. You got me a date with this girl because she knew <laughs> it was a black girl as well who works in, in the Library of London or she works at, she works in London. Oh, um, she's great, cool. great, great, fantastic girl. Love her, love her. Um, but it was also, so we went on his date and I really wasn't sure about him. 
And it was the day the Trayvon Martin case was decided, like it, whether, you know, George Zimmerman was going to be convicted or not. And it, he wasn't convicted, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And that night he had sent me a, a list, a, an email list from the NAACP to like, they were trying to promote it as a civil case. And I was like, how the fuck did you get on this list? Like, and, but I knew at that point that at least if he didn't understand, he had the capacity to learn and the willingness to learn. And that's what made, that's part of what made me go on, a, on like another date with him because I just still wasn't sure we come from different worlds. How are mm-hmm. you going to be able to understand my world? So it wasn't that you have to know is that you have the, the wherewithal, the capacity and the engagement to want to engage with me about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so that's the, that's like the, and we still have these conversations. I will say, and not that dating as a as a LGBTQIA plus person is easier. If you're gonna date a man, you have to commit to teaching somebody about misogyny. If you're gonna date a person of a different race, you have to commit to under talking to them about race and racism. And what they have to do is be learned, be open, and be willing to learn. And mm-hmm. if those are not there, then of course you can't date them. So I can't imagine what it's like dating as a white woman and understanding and like engaging yourself in DEI and but I'm dating a white man who is or not dating, we're married now, but who I still have to, I'm engaged and enthralled with learning and teaching him, but also he can't learn all his learnings from me. And he knows that. Um, and I'm going to keep this one because he's my man. I'm going to stick beside him. And I hear the day <laughs> is uh, ratchet. And as one of my our other producers said, there is pee in that dating pool. So y'all can have it. <laughs> it's so true. It's sad. It's um, treacherous. It, it is. So I want to talk a little bit about, and I, I do want to circle back to like shame and prejudice, because I really want to hear from one of our producers who put this, uh, this topic together for us. But I want to go into a little bit of dating apps. And, and if you've, if you've done the dating apps, um, I know I have, and I'll give a little bit. And then I want to hear from you all. My, my experience in dating apps was, it was, it was wretched and horrible, regardless of the race, because men can be, we we all date men. So for whatever reason, um, God afflicted us with this challenge in life to like, like men. Um, it was weird. It was just, I mean, I got fetishized on there, but I got, uh, it was all kinds of, of yuckiness, but you know, you weed through because at least I didn't have to meet those people in person, but I want to hear from you all what your, engagement and how it has been if you if you've done an app or what that has been like for you and how you weed out um uh terribleness yeah well so i've been in a relationship for 12 years so some dating apps didn't exist when my partner and i got together um there there is some transitioning occurring in my current relationship and been kind of referring to it as consciously uncoupling. Um, so, right, exactly. Yes, referring to it as that. So I love this man and um, won't go into all this stuff, but, you know, we're, we, we're, we're still solid, but just trying to kind of... Uh, explore a little bit. And I recently, I did, I, I, I'm 41. I thought maybe I'm the only gay guy that doesn't ever, didn't have a grinder, but grinder didn't exist, you know, previously. So I decided I was, I, I was away. I decided to download, you know, grinder and like, just, it's so interesting. 
I don't think I'm cut out for it. Like just, it is, it is very, there, it, there is so much like ageism and very much prejudice. People are very particular. That's what I've realized. And very assertive with their likes, their dislikes. And so I could, I appreciate it. Like I appreciate that people are very clear with what they, they want, what they, uh, what they, yes, what they're going for. Um, and, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. Um, but I did, you know, I did put out there, like I decided to be a little creative with how I, I had my like bio. Cause I was like, you know what, I'm going to just be me. And I believe that I could meet some like good people. There's a lot of amazing people in our community. So, you know, I put on there that I am, uh, here, actually, let me, I'm going to just pull it up. Let me see if I can find. Ooh, this will be interesting. You're well, gonna I, pull up your dating app. This is yeah. Well, and, and also, like, this is the thing. I'm barely, I'm barely on this. I'm just, it's just interesting to explore. You know, I'm like, oh, this is an experiment. But I, you know, I was honest. I said I enjoy getting to know people, building relationships, community, love men of all races. I'm anti-racist, anti-ageism, trauma-informed, harm reductionist, and a fan of kindness. So I don't know why I'm even on writer because you know people aren't necessarily. Like looking for love. Not what you want. People on grinders like set your location to next to me. Exactly. And I'll, <laughs> and, I'll, and, I'll see, and I'll see you in 20 minutes. And so, but at the same time, I think I'm just so. Also, also, so, so people don't think I'm being uh, queer phobic. Um, also, uh, Tinder is like that as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. But, but. And, and I'm not trying to jump into a relationship. I'm just trying to, if anything, I, I was away. I was in um, the Outer Banks, North Carolina. And if anything, I, I just felt like, oh, wow, yay, there's other gay people here. You know, like, didn't need to, like, really talk to them or meet them, but just the fact that I knew that there was other gay people around, because in that area, it was very, uh, I, I, I feel pretty isolated sometimes when I was in the other place. But, um, yeah, so it's been a weird, it's been a weird experience. I'm a little late to it, uh, late to the game. Um, and I do see very, I, I, People can block you very easily, um, or if you're not uh, 19 to 24 or 26 to 38, like people are very particular about stuff. So, but where does that come from, right? Like, why are people so, especially like ages, people have this idea that, like, oh, uh, 40 is this, or, you know, 20 is this. Um, and there is some truth to that, but. I just wonder, what if we gave people a chance, in a sense, and like got to know them? Um, maybe we would learn. What do, what do you think, Tasha? I think. I'm just. I, I mean, I want. I, I'll. I'll. I want to hear from Rebecca, and then I'll. I'll kind of. One of the things I was going to ask about is this: what happens in dating apps? One for for uh, our queer folks, family, and then also the you know who is um desired and not desired based on race in in that but um have you had any um interesting experiences great experiences rebecca with dating apps are you on them you know i i got my last two boyfriends from dating apps and i what i like about a dating app is that you really can be as precise as you want to be with who you want to engage with so I do, you know, like, you know, as you're talking, JC, about giving people a chance, you, we're actually the same age, you and I, 
And I, I find myself going through, you know, I'm on like an OkCupid platform and just trying to be, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because I do feel like I wasted a lot of time dating people I wasn't attracted to. And that never really worked out. I felt like I, sometimes I feel like, um, the the feminine training of our culture is it doesn't matter if you are into him it doesn't matter if you really if you want to touch him who is he as a person but then we all then we end up in relationships with with men who make our skin crawl even though they're a great guy so in some ways i find myself giving myself permission to be shallow which is kind of like a, a novel experience for me but then also like as i'm listening to you speak i'm like god is that just the pendulum swinging into a different kind of toxicity. And I really don't know that. And also, I don't know if I'm cut out for dating. I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't, I don't know how to maintain myself in a relationship. Like I, I drop everything that I like about me and I kind of like meld into who I think he wants. And I, and like, like I, I do it against my will. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I have to, you know, caretake him and I have to absorb all of his, Emotional, you know, so, so many of the men that I've dated um, really have so much emotional, like, regulation training that not only did they not, they were denied. Like, as little kids, we tell these boys, like, don't cry, shout, you know, be a man, be a man. But when they're two, and then they come to women my age and they don't know how to be angry. They don't know how to be sad. They don't know how to be lonely. And I feel like women are sometimes expected to absorb and metabolize and then return. How, you know, like I, I don't want to be somebody's sponge and all. I don't, I'm busy. I, I don't want to do. So if I'm going to date somebody, it has to be a better experience than being alone. And I really like being alone. It's so funny that you, when you talk about that too, and, and that exists in, and, and I'll say, I won't speak for the entire black community, but it does mm -hmm. exist in our community too. It's a big conversation that's happening with black women as, mm -hmm. you know, we're college educated, post-grad educated. And uh, a lot of the conversation are like black women with a lot of education don't know how to be good wives or whatever. And it's like, well, the days of yesteryear was giving hostage situation where I had yeah. to do. What do you mean? What do you mean by good wife? Do you right, mean like, servant? And I will say, I will say, I love, I don't know. And, and we're, and also like in that men are not conditioned to cry. Women are not conditioned to like men who do. No, right? it's, it's our form of sexism. You know, we say we want an emotional man and then he gets emotionally, you know what that is? That's sexism. Right. And hey, it's the call's coming from inside the house. That's sexist. And I will say, me and my husband do a lot of work on our partnership and we still sometimes fall back into um what you would call a traditional role but we work at, at that not being that so like we um our vows our conversations are always about not equality because equal true equality doesn't really exist like he's good at some things and i'm good at some things and that has to go back and forth and oscillate between who's good at what but um, as we were writing our um, ketubah, which is a Jewish marriage contract, they like let you choose these different fonts and words that go in. And we were like, oh, no, we're doing partnership, ho. Like, we're doing that. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't even mean to say ho, but it's a thing. It's a, and I, especially not in line with ketubah. But, but to be honest, like, <laughs> we, 
we had to like fight all of these different thought processes about what it means to be a relationship. Like I did not have my father walk me down the aisle and it's not because I don't love him. It is partly because he didn't pay, but still in general, it's the fact that I did not want a man giving me away. Right. Because we're not not property. Exactly. Because we're not property. I I was talking to one of my friends. I'm so sorry. This is going to get, this is going to get really heavy for a few seconds. I was talking to one of my friends about, I, about dating and somehow we got onto the, onto the um, subject of assault. Like women are afraid of being assaulted. Women are afraid of men. We have to, we have to act like you are the one in 100 that's going to do it. Cause the guy, the one in 100 does it over and over and over again. It's not one in four men assaulting women. It's one man in a hundred assaulting 25 women. And that's how you get that. And he said, I somehow he started, we got into this huge argument because he was framing assault as theft. And I was like, Josh, in order to frame sexual assault as theft, you have to see sex as a commodity. Like if somebody comes up and punches you in the face, what are they stealing from you? It's an act of violence. And he's like, yeah, but it's theft. Like if you, it's theft. Like if I came and did a job for you and you didn't pay me, that'd be theft. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? To, to your point, Rebecca, and I'm glad you even, it, may, it makes me think, it's this conversation I had recently with like my niece, um, as she, I don't want to talk about her, her like sexual business, but I have talked about reframing the thought of virginity overall, because like when, mm. when, you know, when we become sexually active, they talk, we talk about losing our virginity and it's not a loss because I haven't lost anything, but the way I think about it and what I told my niece was, don't have sex with people you're in love with. Have sex with people who you respect and who respect you. Because I thought I loved a lot of fucking people. And not saying that, that that's not as many people I had sex with, but I really thought that I was in love. But how many of those people I thought respected me and I respected them was a lot less. And it's just this right. thought of like modification of the black yeah. body of body of of, yeah if you think about virtue women's virtue is a direct result of accepting the premise that uteruses are male property it was your dad's property and then it was your husband's property and you know like it just and like how do you how do you go out how do you date so how do you watch a movie and hold hands with somebody who sees your body as property yeah no no, it doesn't work. So JC, one of the things I wanted to ask you going a little bit back to dating apps was, and, and if your experience, if you've experienced this or seen this, um, so I wanted to to ask the question about, uh, it, there's a, there's a, a terminology among uh, LGBTQ men in this whole no fats, no femmes. And like, and you talked a little bit about this. So let me just hear a little bit more about how, what will happen is people will be really specific. And even in that specificity will come like racism, internalized homophobia and all of the other things. So uh, have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Or do you know about it? Yeah, you know, and I was talking with, I was talking to another friend of mine, a black dude who's a little bit younger, um, and we were just talking about kind of his experience and he was saying, well, you know, you're a six two white guy. So like, you're going to have a different experience, obviously on this dating app. Cause I was talking about like, you know, just how like being blocked or uh, just, you know, 
not everyone's cup of tea. And the nice thing about the community is that you're somebody's cup of tea. <laughs> like there's so many people, but people are very particular. Um, but I, I don't, I, yeah, like I, I, I do think that um, one nice thing about some apps, like you can't filter out, like you can't actually, I don't think you can actually say like, because uh, you don't necessarily put your, your race, actually you could put your race, but I don't know if you can filter out. And I think some apps have done that deliberately so to kind of fight back prejudice um, and kind of take a stand. But other times you can, you can literally like block everybody that you would uh, not want to see or talk to. So. I think it's interesting too, because even when we're talking about like no fast, no fast, no fems, mask for mask, all of those kinds the of- The mask things, for mask, yeah, I see that. I see that a lot too, so. It's this inter- and even when we're thinking about it, even within the LGBTQ community, and a lot of something that people don't talk about a lot is this, um, this hate for femininity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so that and it goes back to hating women in general and even men dating men, hating women is still a part of it. And it's this thought process that I don't want anybody who acts feminine because that's like because I'm not interested in women, but I don't like women. But I just don't like women overall. But you still become it's still all, you know, circles back up to like male dominated things are important and the other things are not. And it's so interesting because then that, you know, gets at internalized homophobia like, how can you be a man who dates men and not and and think that a femininity is is terrible or gross or whatever? And it's it's it exists it exists in the lesbian community too. I've heard you know I hear people talk about it and still even mimicking heteronormative relationships. This is why straight people are always asking not not the only reason queerphobia as well, but we'll ask somebody who's the girl in the relationship, who's the guy in the lesbian relationship, and you're like, but we're we're the same, but it's like, no, but you act like this. And it's just this thought process. The other thing that I was thinking about when it comes to dating apps is my experience as, as you talked a little bit about your experience in talking to the, the black, your, your friend who's black is as a black woman, we are the, technically the least desirable between black women and Asian men are the least desirable on dating apps. And I have experienced both the fetishism and also like just people not responding at all and it being very, very strange. Um, I mean, I, I messaged my husband first, but I was so tired of messaging people. Um, and, and you're like, right, like I, I met my, me and my husband will be going on 10, 10 years in, in a little while. And most of these dating apps like Hinge and Coffee Meets Bagel and all of these things didn't exist. Tinder did. I think Tinder was kind of like kind of around, but it was known as the hookup one. It was like, okay, keep it in plenty of fish. It was like, that was it. So just thinking about what it means to be a black woman dating uh, is is also a hard place to to be able to under understand. So I don't know. I know we're running on time. And one of the things I wanted to do was bring in our um, producer who brought us this topic, um, Alicia, because we talked a little bit about how shame um, shapes prejudice. And I really wanted to hear her take on it because I felt like she had such a good understanding and her, you know, what her thought process was around bringing us this episode and talking about it. So I'm going to introduce one of our, she's, I've worked with Alicia. So here's my little bio for Alicia. Alicia is a higher education professional, but she's, she has such a well-rounded background that Unless you ask her, you probably wouldn't know about. She like lived in Hawaii. She really loves um, 
Habitat, I think she worked for Habitat for Humanity. She loves construction. She's like fantastic with with organization. And I like I just can't so say enough good things about it. Like I I would kiss her face, but that's gross because I used to be her boss. But but now she's like my great great friend, and I love her so much. So this is me introducing our producer Alicia, and I really really want to hear from her um, how shame shapes prejudice and dating. Hi, hi everybody! <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Surprise, I'm here. Um, so what so made you? So question: What made you bring us this episode? And when it comes to like, I really want to hear your take on how you feel shame and shame shapes our prejudice and our preferences. Yeah. So first, so what you, well, bring the episode and then shame and prejudice. Yeah. So um, what made me think about doing um, wanting to do this episode? is my personal experience um, with dating apps and, and people's preferences. A lot of people, um, so first I would like to start off with like explaining a little bit about who I am, like my identity. I'm a fat black woman. Um, I'm a fat light-skinned black woman. And um, like you all were saying, um, oftentimes like fat black women are, are like kind of like the lowest rung of the social ladder in terms of desirability. Um, but that might not necessarily be what people, who people are attracted to versus who they want others to know they are attracted to can be two separate things. Um, and so it's been my lived experience with many men um, have admitted to me, hey, I actually really like you. You are amazing and awesome in all of these ways. And like, I wish that I wasn't so shallow as to not want other people to know how I feel about you, but this is where I'm at. So like, and they typically they would like proposition me at that point because they wanna they want all the benefits um, of like having me around in their life, but maybe not necessarily the burden of having to then explain or challenge others who are like, ill. You, you know what I mean? So, um, and then the people would use preference as a way to shut down the conference. It's just my preference, nothing against you. I just prefer this instead of actually talking about the, you prefer, what you're saying is you don't, there are some things that you don't like and you're assuming that I fall in the category of, 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 of that stuff. You know what I mean? When they, when they um, don't, the things that they aren't saying. Um, and so I was like, I really want to explore this because a lot of people use, it's my preference to shut down the conversation, but we should talk about it. Um, and specifically for shame and how shame um, uh, shapes preference and prejudice. Um, we got a lot of people out here choosing folks like um, Rebecca had mentioned. Um, we got a lot of women choosing men that they t probably wouldn't choose, not because they like them or they want to, it's more for like maybe survival or like, all these people say I should like this person, and even though I don't necessarily like them, I'm gonna I'm gonna try, you know. And then they're tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. And then with men, um, they're like, okay, I like this girl, but like all my do all my all my male friends, they're gonna like really like crap on me if they know. So I'm just gonna go with this other person here because it it satisfies and it quells like the the feelings of the other men that might be around me. Cause I don't right. know, I feel like we're social beings. It's so a like, play for status. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so nobody wants, you know, wants to be that guy. And so I don't know. I've, I always live in that. I have so far have always lived in that space of 
yeah, we like you, but I don't want people to know that. And so it's like, hmm, let's have this conversation. And so that's why I kind of wanted to do this. So one of the things that you're saying, like, is really interesting to me, too, um, because as we talk, as you as you mentioned about who you are, being a light skinned black woman is some fetish, some often, you know, and and this is you all have to be privy to like black people having this conversation right now, JC and Rebecca, in that like often what we what we experience, not saying often, but and not saying every black man, but like there are gobs and gobs, it feels like, of black men who want to date a woman who's light skinned because that status is still closer to the, you know, whiteness, but don't want to date a woman who's fat or whatever. So I experienced sort of, I mean, I am also an overweight black woman as well but in dark skin like i if i had friends who were i had a friend one of my best friends is dark skin but she's thin so she was desired or i have a friend who's light skin who she was desired and i was at the crux and then i also really like i was like a nerd and loved school so then it was like you're too much of a school i've literally had a guy tell me i was too much of a school girl and I was like, okay, so I fucking read. Like, so, and that's also, you know, going back to men and controlling and being and commodifying women's body, bodies is that you don't want me to be smart or smarter than you. But just the thought process of like being light skinned and being fetishized for that and being overweight and either be, and being shunned and or fetishized for that at the same time, I think is also something interesting that I've had to deal with in a different way being rejected because I was dark skinned. But, and I, I haven't, I haven't experienced weight in my life where people fetishize me, but I have been turned down um, for weight. And I had a white guy say to me once, it was a friend, it was somebody I was working with. I was, even before I got started working at Whole Foods, I told them like, I liked white guys and I, you know, loved NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. And he was like, oh, well, white guys don't really date fat girls. And I was like, and it was like, that was, that was the end of that sentence. And it was a friend of mine's boyfriend. And I was like, okay not really sure what that means did i just like what what that even looks like but it, when you said it brought that it brought that thought process up for me so i don't know like for you alicia like how have you navigated dating or have you been able to navigate dating oh what a question so um i tried the the dating app thing for a long time it did not work out for me <laughs> for me and i think that um that is largely due to and i'm gonna pop bring it up i don't know if y'all know about it but like coded bias and like uh bias and in algorithms and all of that stuff um that has contributed to my horrible experience <laughs> on um on, on dating apps dating apps in addition to people's um kind of uh shallowness um and in addition to like their hidden prejudices within in their preferences um and so uh with that, I, I feel like it's such a chore to kind of try to muddle through all of the crap folks on these apps to find the quality people. And I just am like, I'm going to, as of at this very moment, I'm in the mindset of, I wash my hands of it. It's too much of a burden than it is a benefit. There's not enough, like, pleasure in doing it or the want, you know, it's such a dream. So I'm like, uh -uh. and what you said, Rebecca was like, so or a little bit earlier with the, if 
like my, I like being alone right now. And if my if, if being with you is is better than being alone, then great. But it's not. It hasn't been. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so on the one hand, you, you're like, yeah, I want to be with someone, you know, and, and society says that we should. Society says that, you know, um, you should be with someone. Like the goal is to, is to to have your significant other, that person, you know, and, um, you know, there's a desire and a want for that. And I have that. But at the same time, at what cost do, do I have to do I have to sacrifice my my want? Do I have to sacrifice, you know, um, my maybe my dignity or like my, you know, do, do I have to become a servant? Do I have to like put a damper on my hobbies? Like, for example, um, like Taishel says, some things that you might not know about me is I used to be a construction supervisor um, and uh, I love building things. and and maybe that might not necessarily be the conventional like when you look at me I, you know i have my nails done and things but i like you know <laughs> building stuff and getting my hands dirty and i don't want to have to hide those parts about me or make myself smaller for for someone um to kind of like share share that with me um and so i don't know right now, I, I guess the answer to your question is yeah i've not had any success yet um but but i well, say yes Right. And I will say, so I, I, and I know we've, we've come up on time and there was one other thing we'll talk about. We'll have to talk about it either on the, on our social media or a whole other episode next time. But I want to hear from each of you, like any final thoughts, because I have some thoughts that I wanted to share. Like dating can be terrible. Being in a relationship can be terrible. You know, being in America can also be terrible, but I do have some thought process. And it's funny because our other producer, so I do a book, Rebecca, I do a book club and uh, one of our other producers asked the question, how do you know when you're in love? And I won't answer it in that way or, or, or ask in that way. But I think for me, I, I'll, I'll share some, some thought process about what it means to be in a relationship or what you said. And it'll kind of go off of what you all said. But I wanted to hear um, from Rebecca, JC, and Alicia if you have any like parting thoughts on preference and prejudice as it comes to dating in um, not that we were experts at all. We're just sharing our, all of us sharing our experiences because none of it clearly is like in a relationship, trying to figure it out in a relationship, still married to a person and who's a man and a white person. So trying to figure it out, um, decided to be alone right now until I find, but I wanted to hear. So I'll start with, um, Rebecca, then go to JC, then Alicia, um, just your, your thoughts as we close out. I think if there's a takeaway for me, you know, kind of it, it might be that we put too much pressure on dating that 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 primary relationship has to be, especially I think if you are a, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, a male coded person in our society. I don't know. You see me struggle for words, but like if you're not allowed to have intimate relationships with other men. And if the, if anytime you get touched, you think, oh, she wants sex, you know what I mean? Like, and we, and we, we really do hamstring men and boys in this society. And I think any, any man in America who is a good partner is a miracle because, you know, like the, the training that they receive socially is just so antiquated and expensive for women to be in relation with. So I don't know. Oh, don't ask me. Don't ask me. I don't know anything. 
<laughs> you know a lot, and it's been it's been fantastic. So, JC, any thoughts or takeaways? You know, I think that if 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 you have a strong preference, uh, being able to just explore that more and have conversations like this with friends, and and also if dating apps and and hookup apps, like if that's not your thing. There are so many ways to meet people and, you know, challenge yourself to like do different things and, you know, join different clubs or, or whatnot. And, uh, and no matter how you meet that person, really putting it all out there and also taking your time. Like, I feel like there's no rush sometimes. Um, and hopefully we all live a very long life. And so we'll be meeting lots of people. Along the way. Spoken like a true social worker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alicia, can you take those yeah, thoughts? I do. I have two um, points that I want to say. The first thing is, I would like to clarify what I am not saying, which is, <laughs> I'm not telling people um, to, once you discover that you might not be someone's cup of tea that you were trying to pursue, I'm not saying out here in the streets grilling them like why, like da da da. da. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Uh, because that can be hella awkward. But what I am saying is that I, like JC said, um, in your circles with your safe people, with your friends, or even with, I don't know, family members, whoever, like start to have these kinds of conversations um, and search yourself and, and, and analyze why like each one of you, whoever is, is listening um, in on the interwebs here, um, Search your, your 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 reasonings why you prefer things. I that's typically we don't typically do that. My favorite color is purple, um, and I might say initially why is that? Because I I just love it, you know. But there are reasons why I I like purple. Probably because when I was a child, since I can before I can remember, I was probably watching Barney, you know, very nice, colorful, da da da. And so I just have a you know penchant for purple now. But th there's probably a reason why. And um, if we explore. Our, our reasonings why we prefer something. And if we see that the reason we prefer something is because we don't want X, chances are there's probably some prejudice in that. And what do I mean by that? If when you when 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 you think about your preference, you think the first thing you think about is what you don't want. Like when people be like, oh, I don't date black women. Like if that's your first thought, chances are you got some prejudice up in there. If you're like, oh, I don't date fabulous or I don't date skinny, you know, or whatever, put in whatever. If that's what you think about when you think about what you prefer, chances are there's a prejudice happening and ask yourself, what are the assumptions that you are thinking as, as a result of like, you know, like, um, I think fat people are lazy and so I don't want uh, to be with a lazy person and therefore every person that I see who is fat, um, I assume that they're like, you know, th those kinds of things. That's just one example. Um, and kind of if you find yourself wanting to be with some with someone, but you're like afraid um, that what other people will think, um, start to start to challenge, you know, that, you know, start, start like do something with it. I'm not saying traumatize the people that you want to secretly be with, because that's a whole thing too. Please do not, if you know you're not there at that point, do not traumatize these folks by using them as an experiment. But still like start to ask the question, start to see what people around you think and feel, start to challenge them, you know? And so that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I, and, and honestly, my points come from you all's points as well. I would say 
when you're thinking about dating, the first person you have to really engage with is yourself. Like why, who, what, what are my thoughts about it? Um, if you like Alicia, it, where you ended is um, what I would say. If you don't like fat women, don't date fat women, but you don't have to go around telling people why you don't date fat women goes for black women, goes for femmes, goes for any, any, anything. If you don't like people with glasses, don't date people with glasses and then berate them for how they wear glasses. Like that doesn't make sense. We're not saying that you should change your, I'm not saying you should never, you should change your preference, but investigate why they exist. And then the other thing that came to me as both you, um, as Rebecca and, and Alicia were talking um, about significant others and relationships, um, your significant other does not have to be a romantic partner. Um, you're so it can be, you have many, you, maybe you have many significant people, significant partners. I think a relationship is great, but if it diminishes you, it's not a relationship. It's a hostage situation. I will say as our producer, Joe asked, um, on our book club the other day, how do you know when you're in love? Um, some of the most profound answers, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of mine and, and, uh, Alicia got to go to my wedding. So she got to hear our vows. And one of those things that I said in my vows was that my husband didn't shrink me. He didn't ask me to be anything different. He allowed me to fully be myself and also understanding and knowing that I wasn't going to be the same for the rest of my life, that I was going to be able to grow into different parts of who I am. And I, I hope the same and engage with the same for him. But like I knew that that was a person I was meant to be with because I didn't feel small. Where I've been in relationships where people are like, Tasha, you talk too much. And like, I do talk a lot, but he never told me it was too much. I do. That's why I got a podcast. That's what I do. I facilitate, right? Um, but he never told me it was too much. He just was like, okay. And I did have another guy say to me, you don't talk too much. You're just talking to the wrong people. But my husband doesn't make me feel small. Um, my husband doesn't make me think about being somebody different and I don't have to, to shift and shape to be with a person because every one of you, and I'm looking at my, my three co-hosts at this moment, but everyone out there is that um, a relationship should make you feel full. But you have to be a, a person. The a rela They say, and this is like so cliche, a relationship is the only time that one plus one equals one, right? Um, I knew, I said, and I was like, I love you so much. Um, I can't live without you. And I was like, wait a minute, I could live without you. I just don't want to, right? And I, he is truly my best friend. But also, like, I have to be whole and as much whole as I can be within myself because I can't put that on someone else. And being in a relationship, like, relationships are fucking work. Like, it is a shit. It's like a raft that you're trying to build a ship. Because I'm not dating me. I'm dating someone else who's a whole person and accepting them for who they are and engaging with them and wanting them to be better and, and doing all the things. And relationships are great but you have to work on you first and if your preference is to berate someone be by yourself Alicia, can you beat yourself yeah so i just yeah as, as you really think about like who you want to be with or who you want you have to first think about who you want to be because if you feel like you need to shift in in, in shape and change then you will change Hopefully it'll be for the better you, 
but really figuring out who you are. And we know that now like Tia, Tia uh, Maori is getting divorced after 14 years and we're all sad out here, but like you really have to figure out what makes sense for your life and whether you feel like it's a preference or it's a prejudice or whatever it is, is like really engage with yourself and why you feel the way you do and what you want and what you need. Um, because that may change. Um, I don't know if that's profound or not. I just know that I want to be in a relationship where I can be me. I don't want to, you know, we, we do enough covering in all the places that we have to be like, I want to come home, fully be myself, fully engage with that person and be the most authentic version of who I am and who I grow to be in a relationship. And if it doesn't make you feel like that, like you said, Rebecca, like you said, JC, figure out who you are. And really, if it's, if it's not better than being alone, the girl, and I say girl as in the, the perpetual girl for everything, um, be by yourself, but figure it out. Go to also, I watch a lot of dating shows, me and my husband, but most of the time we're watching these dating shows like uh married at first sight and bachelor and, and love is blind. Most of the time we're just telling people to go to fucking therapy, get you a therapist. Yes. Yes. Get you a therapist and really figure out if what you need as a person wholly, wholly. Um, but we'll be here. We could be here for many, many more moons. I just want to say thank you to Rebecca for coming in and being my brave co-host. Uh, well, hopefully Mel will be proud of us that we like did everything we were supposed to do to make this an actual episode. Because it, it has been real- an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting. Thank you. And if you don't see this episode, it's because I didn't do something right. But hopefully you did. I see there's people watching right now. I can see that. Um, JC, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. Exactly. I just think it's so important. And one of the things I'll say is I think it's important to make sure I engage people with lived experience and, and different things. To hear about experience of dating as a Mormon and ex-Mormon, to hear about dating experiences as an LGBTQ person to hear about dating experiences of a woman who's, as you say, fat, black, and light skinned is, is also so important for people to hear your authentic, what you're authentically bringing to the table. So I just want to thank you. And thank you, Alicia, for putting this um, together, girl. This was a nice conversation. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so until next time, you'll see us in two weeks. And in two weeks, because today, actually, I didn't even say this at the beginning because I forgot. Um, is like the one year, one year marks one year since we've been doing this podcast in our two seasons. Um, and we will be back in two weeks to celebrate with Mel. Um, just, you know, and where we're going next, but we still got a couple more episodes, but just celebrating our one year. So I'm glad I got to spend a one year anniversary with y'all. So I'm gonna roll that beautiful bean footage.